For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 707 on CJD. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur presented by Fuller Landau. This is a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with my co-host, Josh Miller of Fuller Landau. How are you, Josh? Great, Dan, as usual. And we welcome uh, to the program our guest this evening, Martin McNichol. Martin is with ERP Guru. How are you, Martin? I'm doing great. Now, I'm very fascinated with uh, what we're going to talk about tonight, Josh, because I've done so many tech segments on CJD about the cloud, and I still don't really understand what it is. This is what Martin does. The cl cloud computing, this yeah. is, you know, businesses, do they have their information on site, or do they subcontract sub it out and leave it in the cloud? And Martin, over the last six years, and certainly in a previous life, has built his business around this concept, a concept that's been around probably longer than we've all really thought has been around. So welcome, Martin. And uh, maybe just to give people an idea of what ERP Guru is today, uh, let us know exactly kind of what you do, what services you offer. Well, Josh, ERP Guru is basically what we call the value-added reseller. So we basically sell and service a software. The software we resell is called NetSuite, and NetSuite is an enterprise resource planning system, So, or ERP. And basically what an ERP is, is as you might call it, the operating system of a business so when you run a business you need your accounting software if you have inventory you need to manage your inventory if you bill for your services you need to enter time and then produce invoices so NetSuite does all of that in the cloud so that's the real value of the of the model um, having an ERP in the in the cloud so what was your background how did you get into this and how did you start the company so, so that's funny I mean I'm an engineer um, robotic engineer and uh, I started my career in software working for Accenture um, and since then worked worked with Bell Canada and CGI um, here in Montreal. And in all those years, I was implementing um, ERP system for big companies like Alcan or the CN and other businesses in the States. And I thought there's no way that we can't do this for small, medium businesses. And this is where I heard about NetSuite doing that through the cloud, which was called something completely different. Uh, it was called Software as a Service when I started it uh, back in 2005. And it's going to be called something different, by the way, than the cloud in a couple of years. We just don't know what it is yet. Uh, Microsoft hasn't spent money on marketing of that one yet. <laughs> right. But um, but that that was it. So went to California, um, met those guys. Says, this is great. This is a disruptive technology that's going to help small, medium businesses. And I said, I'm going to do this in Montreal. I'm going to sell all of those and be successful and basically started to sell in the US um, right from the get-go, so. A lot of business owners think that their data uh, is, I mean, is out there sort of on the internet vanishing somewhere. I mean, if, if you don't have a server in your building, where is all your info being stored? So, so that's a great question. And it's a question of trust and you have to trust the provider that gives you those services. And if you think about Google, then you can say, well, do I trust Google with my emails and files? In the case of NetSuite, the company behind it is Oracle Corporation. And they have multi-million dollar data centers where they have the same infrastructure as your bank has. So basically for the price of you know, a much uh, lower amount than it would cost to buy all the equipment, you can benefit of the services without having to deal with the infrastructure and the complex technology. Was it always clear to you? Did you, I mean, did you wake up one day and say, hey, you know what, there's, there's something missing in this market segment. The SMEs, the small, medium-sized enterprises are missing out on something that is available to much bigger areas. Or did you just get tired of working for somebody else? 
actually it's the, the later i mean josh i woke up one day and i said this makes no sense there's all those small businesses and at the same time a friend of mine who was working for um, another big consultancy told me martin you know there's this company who has this great software and you got to see it so this is where it just occurred to me that um bringing this to the canadian market would be awesome and that would be one of the first um first in play so i jumped on the opportunity and did you start small Definitely. I mean, out of my basement. Uh, <laughs> definitely out of basement. And uh, grew to a company with 30 people today with sales offices in Chicago and Boston. And Okay, so now, now let's talk a little bit about you starting small. You start out of your basement. I know you've grown to 30 people, as you're saying. What type of customers? Was it difficult to get yourself recognized and, and validated credibility? How... How did you manage to get to be this one guy saying, you know what, come buy this software that I'm reselling? I mean, on the internet, there's a saying, nobody knows you're a dog. Um, so, I mean, started out in, on, on the internet having a website and having a good presence, a professional presence, and then delivering services. People start to talk about you when you can uh, basically deliver services to your customers. They talk to each other, and at the end of the day, you come up with a you know, great uh, clientele. And... The, I guess, you know, I'm really interested in the human resource aspect of it because we're talking about 30 employees. I presume that it's relatively young in... Definitely. If you look at like, a, I mean, the, the old guys are 45. So that's the old guys in the office. So the average might, must be around 25, 26 years old. And how do you keep them motivated? So, I mean, you have to create this cool atmosphere. I mean, uh, you have to keep a work environment that's hip, um, for example, we provide like soft drinks and provide them, provide them a lot of caffeine and, and <laughs> Red Bull and um, Guru and all those those nice coffee machines. So people are, you know, caffeinated to a level where mm -hmm. they perform. <laughs> but at the same time, it's a fun work environment. I mean, we redid our work environment three times in the last six years. And the latest one uh, is just coming on. Uh, we're moving in to the brand new offices uh, as we speak. So it, very hip. We had some... Um, very good architect that came and designed a nice office, uh, a lot of um, you know open space and uh, just good work environment. I mean, beer on Friday and <laughs> scotch sometimes. Is it is that enough? Like, do they still maintain a good work ethic? Are they there to work? Are they there to have fun? How do you, how do you try and maintain a balance between the two? And it's how you treat your people. I mean, we treat them like professionals, and they're responsible for their work. So they they can get in. You know, we said you know you got to be there when your customers are there. So most people are there at nine o'clock. If they need to stay, they stay. Um, if they need to stay home for um, Videotron coming in to fix their cable, I mean, they stay in the morning. They work from their laptop. I mean, they don't have to be at the office to work. I mean, everything's on their laptop with a browser. Um, so we give them that flexibility. So it's easy for them to accommodate their life. You know, it's a, a good life-work balance, um, being in the office and being able to basically be there when you need to. Do you still monitor them? You know, I, I, I'm fascinated because, you know, you're allowing this amount of flexibility, uh, yet, you know, and they're, they're young professionals that, I, you know, I'm curious to know, they take advantage, do they not? Do you monitor them? Do you keep track? Do you have performance reviews? Like, how do you put everything into place so that, the these young this younger generation that perhaps perhaps has a little bit less experience and not so knowledgeable uh, get into that and I, I think when we come back to the break I'm looking forward to exploring a little bit more how you're able to do that more with Martin Mitnickel of ERP Guru in just a second on today's entrepreneur at 715. 
For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Coming up to 720, welcome back to today's entrepreneur. Our guest on the program this evening, Martin McNichol of ERP Guru. Uh, we're talking about the cloud, and uh, so much of Martin's business is based on that, but also from an HR perspective, uh, a very different company to work for. Lots of uh, incentives, a, a very free, uh, very open atmosphere, and Josh, uh, very important in, uh, for modern businesses to sort of be more accommodating for their employees. You really, listen, you got to know your audience, and you got to, entrepreneurs have to know who's going to produce what's coming out. When they're offering services, when they're client-focused, they have to put their best foot forward. And, you know, a lot of people say uh, that their people, their team, they can classify as two things. They can look at them either as one of their big, biggest expenses or one of their biggest assets. And, uh, Martin, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts a little bit on your philosophy in dealing with, uh, with the people in your business and maybe a little bit on how some of the different generations might react to some things that you do. Definitely, and, and you, you said it right, Josh. I mean, in terms of uh, looking at our people, we, we tell them, um, if you're working for an airplane company, the airplane would be the product. In a service company, the people make the company. Um, so no people, no company. We have no jets, we don't manufacture anything. So our strength is the people and their knowledge. Um, and, and people, what we, from my experience, I mean, recognition is key into having your people perform. So you asked earlier, how do we get um, people to perform while giving them um, all that flexibility? And I've done that by um, putting in place a billable culture, meaning that people are responsible for entering their time actually every day in our tool, and we measure it with different key performance indicators. So while at the same time you have the flexibility to work the hours that you have to work, uh, we measure everything. And so for somebody that just does their work, do what they have to do, then we get to a point where you know we know what they've done, we know what they've accomplished, and they can be proud of it. Does that measuring result in feedback? Definitely feedback. How often? Uh, so, I mean, our feedback is can go from, you know, every day of, you know, going behind them and say, you've done a good job, which works great with people of that of that generation. But on in, in top of that, to formalize the process, we have four formal evaluations per year, uh, one every quarter. And we call them the three-month, six-month, nine-month meeting mm -hmm. and the annual evaluation. So, in our case, every three months, we meet them and say, you know, how are you doing? It's just like meet the president. Uh, my VP does that also, so we split the number of people. With 30 people, it would take a mm -hmm. long time, but we just meet them and we go to lunch with, uh, with some uh, specific people where we want to know more about them, about their life, and they can tell us, give us good feedback. You know, I think you're doing great in this area. I think you can improve in this other one. So when comes the time of the annual evaluation, there's no surprises. Everybody knows what, what has been said, what they had to work on. They know about their training program. They know what they had to do uh, to perform in their job. So at the end of the day, everybody's happy. Do they, now, do you have, is it everybody from a similar generation or they have different generations within the company? I mean, we have different generations. We have people that are definitely more um, X generation other or Y generation. So uh, the way I translate it is that people that were more with the carrot at the end, they work for the carrot. The other one, they just, they're just there because they enjoy the ride and they work. It doesn't mean that they don't work as hard. It's just that it's just different in terms of recognition or what they're looking for. Um, so this is where we have to balance the needs of uh, those two generations. Our guest this evening, Martin McNichol of ERP Guru. Today's Entrepreneur continues in a moment at 7.23. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 
Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and Full Landau's Josh Miller for today's Entrepreneur. Our guest this evening, Martin McNichol from ERP Guru. And we're talking, Josh, about how uh, it's a very friendly work environment. A lot of people must want to work there at ERP Guru, I'm sure. Uh, Martin, how do you choose who you hire and what's your what's your screening process like? So, I mean, we're going with some of the traditional ways of finding our people, and a lot of it is with the new ways. So, for example, we'll post on uh, Monster or Jaboom, and then we'll use, for example, other media. For example, uh, we found one of our director of marketing through LinkedIn, uh, where some of our recruiter uh, they went out and looked for a particular um, behavior and, and type of job and personality, and then we found uh, that individual through that uh, through that network. So it will be a mix of very different uh, media that will land it. A lot of now of employee referral, we're getting a lot of good employees from that. And but the market is difficult. It's difficult to get good people, and uh, like we could use five people today, and we just don't have them. With with such a a, a young group of talent that you're seeking or that you that you have. When you're recruiting, do you look more for somebody with the right knowledge or somebody with the right attitude? Attitude first, always. Um, skills can be uh, learned. Um, people can learn how to program, do something different way. But we're looking at the individual, the attitude, what they've accomplished in the past. So, for example, um, in a student, like a new grad, we'll look for people that have been on student council or that have done activities outside of university uh, or in, in different groups where they will show their leadership and they will have shown that they can contribute to the, uh, to the community. These are the people we're looking for. Now, your, your management style with your employees, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, and I, I believe rightfully so, you you need to embrace them. You're offering a service. They are the face to your customer. Always good to be important. Do you subscribe to being transparent with your team, with your with with your recruits? Uh, what type of I guess information do you allow yourself to part with from uh, from a business aspect, and how much do you include them? Our employee have on their daily screen on what we call their dashboard the company revenues. That's how much information we share. Everybody knows and they know how they contribute and how it's bringing, um, you know, it's bringing us closer to the company goals. Uh, we do a, a meeting every month where we share about our, our successes and the things we need to improve. We share about how we've done this month, how close are we to our, our objective in terms of revenues and profits. And everybody benefits from it at the end because they all get a bonus based on the achievement of the company and their individual um, achievements. Do you find that that helps give input? Like, do they come to you with ideas on how to improve your company? Definitely. And if you look in terms of research and development, I don't have a research and development development uh, department. Everybody is R&D. I mean, people will come up with ideas. Hey, I've done this. Let's package it. Uh, let's turn it around and use it in a different way to help our customers. Um, like recently, we've, I mean, last year, we merge um, Google Maps with our ERP system, which is which gives people a view of all their customer data or locations on a map. Um, so just putting those two together, very simple, uh, in a very simple way, brings a lot of value. An employee came up with that. Uh, I, I think it's, by the way, it's great because, uh, and Dan, as I'm sure you've heard in some of the previous shows, entrepreneurs don't always give the right amount of power to their to their team to their staff and their recruits there's so much ideas that can come out of the people that work day to day and if entrepreneurs could just bottle those ideas and and, and use them to to flourish their companies they would be so much better off but the entrepreneur first has to say am i transparent what do i let them run with 
And that's something that's, that's not always easy for an entrepreneur to learn. And when we come back, there's so many other areas of ERP Guru that we're going to touch. More with Martin McNichol in just a second. It's 7.30 on CJD. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar, along with Josh Miller of Fuller Landau, and our guest this evening, Martin McNichol of ERP Guru. And uh, Martin, you started in your garage, uh, basically on your own, I believe. Now, uh, well, you're not on your own anymore, are you? Definitely not. Uh, after two years, uh, it was just too difficult to uh, to have all the hats and be able to deliver a quality uh, quality service. Um, so basically, I see my role as uh, uh, chief strategy officer, chief people officer, and chief sales officer. At the end of the day, you got to deliver. So I need to have I needed to have somebody to do um, to do production to basically to deliver the services to our customer. And this is where uh, my partner came into play. Now, did you? You have really defined roles, like you really try not to overlap? We do, and we have regular meeting to make sure that everybody knows what the other is doing, but our roles are very clear in the company. And what happens when you disagree with one another? Uh, I mean, most of the time I would say that we, um, we agree and we have good arguments, and at the end of the day, uh, I'd say that we put our, our ego aside and we do what's best for the company. Do you share, you know, there, there's the day-to-day -day operations, but it, it seems like, and certainly your business as many others, you have to have some type of vision. You really have to look forward as to what's coming on the horizon, whether it's technology or, or whatever it may be. Do you share the same vision? We definitely do. And every month, I mean, we, we tell our employees where we're going and what is the objective. And I actually give a name to every year. So two years ago, it was the year of the brand where we rebranded our company. This year was the growth year. We said we're going to open... Um, another U.S. offices on another U.S. office. We're going to grow, you know, 15 more people. Next year is the year of knowledge management and what I call U.S. cells. So basically, having more of those more people in the U.S. So everybody knows that this is what the focus is going to be. Could you imagine going into a year or starting walking into your office tomorrow without a strategy going forward? I think it's going to be difficult. I mean, you got to have a purpose. As an entrepreneur, um, what drives you is change. Uh, you want to grow something. You want to build something. The day that I stop building is the day that it's going to stop to be fun as an entrepreneur. I mean, this is what you want. So you're never totally satisfied with your product. You always want to expand and expand. It must be pretty exhausting on you sometimes to continually want to expand in your business. It's exhausting for my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe some others around them. Exactly. But but for me, it's it, that's what I want. I want to think about the future. Where I am today, in my head, I'm already like a year or two in the future and putting the pieces in place for this to work. Now, let's talk a little bit about customers. You say that you, I think your original thought was, you know what, it's SMEs. They need this product, so let's, let's break off. Let's work with the Quebec SMEs. But where, where did your customer, customer base end up going? More than 80% of our customer base, and since the beginning, comes from the United States. And um, I'd say that in this area of staying local, I failed. <laughs> um, some people want to export. Um, exportation fell on me. Um, and uh, basically, there was a bigger, there is a bigger market uh, south of the border, and all those companies were already using the software, needed um, capable help 
uh, to help them use the software and customize it. And this is where a lot of our revenues came in the first years. And now with our U.S. sales office, is, um, it's great. Is there a particular challenge of dealing across the border, like uh, the dollar itself? I mean, there's huge fluctuations. I mean, How do you deal with that? Our profit went down from our U.S. sales for sure. I mean, if you look just at the exchange rate where it started and where it is today at par, I mean, that's like 15 percent mm -hmm. uh, profits down the drain. However, the volume makes up for it. Um, we have um, so many sales, so much sales in the U.S. compared to Canada. Um, so, I mean, it's, we have to be there. I wouldn't think of the company today just in Canada. And now, now that kind of raises a question. What about your pricing? If you're selling mostly to the U.S. and the dollar was great back then and is less today, does that affect your pricing? So we, uh, we try to keep at par with Canadian and U.S. dollars, which means that uh, in the U.S. we are um, kind of discounted. And in Canada, we are, I would say, at the right price. Um, and that was the case then. It is still the case today. And what we do now is in a specific geographic area where the, there's more demand. We're going to raise our rate. Uh, but it's going to be in specific cities where only one rate applies. So <laughs> in a U.S. city, there's only one U.S. rate. So that's, that's how we try to, to, uh, to do um, with our rate. And, but we try to keep it very simple. So you're, you're working with a new customer. Um, this customer could be located in, say, Idaho, Boise, Idaho. Um, how do you bring them on? Like, how do you get to them? And then once you get them, how do you trust them to pay your bill and to continue to do business with you? What is interesting is that we don't get to them. They get to us. So what we do, I call it inbound marketing, and somebody else coined the term before me, but basically we make ourselves uh, interesting for them via our intervention on the web, how we help people, how we promote ourselves. So instead of saying, um, use my services, I'm good, we're showing them how good we are than the user services. So it's very subtle in terms of approach where you're showing your skills and then people mm -hmm. say, well, I've seen you've done this, you must be good. So there's a big difference uh, between the two. You must deal a lot with, uh, with search engine optimization and, and uh, putting keywords on your site to sort of bring people in like that? I mean, we have two people full-time right now that are just doing that, putting good content um, and actually helping our engineer to write articles that are posted everywhere on the web on specific sites. So. Every one of our engineers is actually measured on their contribution to the community. So they have to write blog posts. Um, they have to um, um, create some add-on that they'll promote or, or help other NetSuite users for free on the user group. And at the end of the day, this is one of our largest uh, marketing engine, and we can measure that. We know that we make a lot of money and a lot of revenues gain new customers that have used our, our, I've seen our help and just we're on the receiving side of our free advice. And then they come up and it leads to great sales. So do you have any competition? Actually, we do. In the U.S., there are other uh, partners uh, like ourselves um, that resell and service NetSuite. But at this point, as of today, we are the largest NetSuite partner in the world. Do you monitor? Do you, like, I mean, do, do you not worry about the competition and you just kind of do your own thing? And do you worry about them maybe copying you and checking your information and the, the I mean, free things that you do? They're get? copying it. I mean, there's one thing of taking a sticker, you know, a, a bottle sticker and putting on yours and say, you know, I'm the same brand and actually doing it. I mean, the taste is different. <laughs> <laughs> How do you differentiate, differentiate yourself when the product, uh, I guess the, the, the software itself or the web-based software is essentially the same? I mean, how do you uh, separate yourself from those who are selling the same product? 
So in our case, uh, the ones that are selling the same product are using a different model, which is you know the on-premise model. So they have to buy hardware or use existing servers and put it on. And this is where we play. And we are very clear from the get-go. We'll tell them, you know what? We are using the cloud uh, model. We are software as a service. Are you okay with that? This will be the first question we ask. And if they're okay, we're going to continue. If not, we're just going to say, hey, you know, this is great. Great talking to you. Uh, and we're just going to let them go to another solution. We're, we're not going to try to convince somebody to jump on the cloud bandwagon. Have you ever said no to a customer? We did, actually. And um, we're actually sometimes saying no to an existing customer, where they'll say, um, you know, let's agree to disagree and, and go each uh, our way. It's, and, and it's sometimes really difficult to do. I mean, an entrepreneur, you're starting a business, even if you've been around for five or six years, to say no to some revenue coming in, you really got to be sure of yourself, and you got to have a vision and know what's going forward. And uh, it, it's a great story. There's so much more I could ask. Um, but I, I think we'll, uh, I, and we're going to move on and talk, talk a little bit more about U.S. and cross-border stuff coming up. And Ernie Fur, tax partner at Florida, will join us to talk about doing business down south in just a moment. 7.45 on CJD. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller, uh, today's entrepreneur on CJAD. Martin McNichol is our guest of ERP Guru. We'll also bring into the conversation Ernie Furt. Ernie is a tax partner at Fuller Landau. And Ernie, we're going to talk about doing business down south uh, across the borders because that's something that Martin has been doing recently. Um, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs out there who are just sort of starting to consider expanding into the States? So what are some of the initial challenges they're going to face? When you expand into any jurisdiction, especially the United States, there's a lot of different rules that you have to deal with. And you can't be arrogant and assume that the rules are exactly the same as they are in Canada. The, the rules are very different, and you have to hook up with a good advisor on both sides of the border. And an advisor who knows both sides of the border is helpful, especially if he can hook up with somebody in the States, in the jurisdiction that you intend on doing business in. And that way you can have the best of both worlds. Is there a particular, I mean, let's say somebody, I mean, Martin was talking before about doing business in the States. Maybe uh, somebody wants to open up an office. What are the things that they might have to consider when doing that? It depends the type of business you're in and, and you know, where your customer base is. And, and if you're in a service business or if you're in a goods business, you know, if, if, if you sell goods to the States, then you don't really necessarily have to open up anything down there and you can ship stuff from from Canada down to the States. If, if you're a service business and people have to come in and have to see your face, then you want to be in, in the place where the business is best. Um, you know, incorporating for, for tax reasons is not necessarily a, a good idea. You have to incorporate where the business is and where you can make the most money. When, Martin, when you were looking at locations, does this enter your picture as to where, or you're just going to where the customer is? Well, at this point, we're looking where uh, where the customers are for sure, and uh, and like you said, Rene, uh, for us, you know, for tax reason, it just doesn't make sense, and we're trying to push it as much as we can. However, for um, um, for immigration purposes, what's going on right now is that we have a lot of people that are going down to see our customers in the United States. So the advantage of having a United States a corporation in the U.S. is that uh, when this company is created and the parent is in Canada and your employees have been working for more than a year for the parent company, you can basically send them directly to your end customer without uh, any more visas or there's much less visa restrictions. Mm -hmm. um, as for now, we have to get a, 
a TN visa every time we go into states and we send a consultant, which can be, you know, can be, um, you know, a pro problematic because your customers will be, you know, afraid to sign all this paperwork to get them down. And, and paperwork, I mean, that that's that's a huge factor. And, and Ernie, maybe from a tax standpoint, I mean, is is it just a slew of paperwork dealing with the IRS and the state and local and city and and all that jazz? There's a lot of paperwork, but in any government, there's a lot of paperwork. The, the, the U.S. particularly, there's a lot of penalties for failure to complete the paperwork. And that is the scary part uh, with respect to the U.S. system. Uh, the U.S. system works similarly to Canada. However, there's penalties for, for non-compliance in preparation of certain forms. And there are so many forms to prepare that people just forget that they exist. And they don't have proper professionals advising them as to what forms to complete. You know, there's a lot of people that, uh, that do business in the States and they just say, well, it's the same as Canada. I'm going to just do what, I w what I've always done and I'm going to ignore all the compliance. And then all of a sudden somebody comes knocking down the door and there's penalties all over the place and it's just, it's ugly. Now, when somebody opens up a business or an office or a showroom or whatever they have there, is there something that, that dictates that Yes, you're going to actually have to file tax returns in the states versus you know what I'm just visiting or it's not really an office or like how do you, how do you distinguish between these type of establishments? There's a concept called nexus in the states and it's basically a connection to the, the United States. First of all, there's federal nexus, and that basically works uh, by treaty. And if you to make it easier, let's say you have bricks and mortar down there, bricks and mortar, it's clear. You have an establishment in the states, you got to file a, a, a U.S. tax return. The states all have different rules. So regardless of where you are, you got to look at the particular rules. And most of them are, are governed by, do you have employees in the state? Can they make contracts on your, on your behalf? Do you have any physical assets in the states? Or do you have sales in the states? There's usually three-pronged factors. Some states use two. Some states use all three. It varies. And uh, coming up, uh, more with uh, Ernie Furt, tax partner at Fuller Landau on doing business down south. Also, Martin McNichols' advice uh, for today's entrepreneur. That's all on the way. It's 7.53 on CJD. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Five to eight on CJD, remaining moments of today's entrepreneur, our guests, Martin McNichol, ERP guru, and Ernie Fur, tax partner at Fuller Landau. Ernie, there's, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't sure when, you know, they always look for representation south of the border. You have these uh, sales reps, companies go down, it's a big market, it's 10 times the size of Canada, so that's where I'm going to go get my revenues. And a lot of times they subcontract out to a third party, an individual, you know what, work out of your base and work out of your home. But then it's then then they think well maybe that person should be more of an employee maybe they'll be a little more tied down to us maybe they'll be a little bit more committed if you will maybe you can just quickly explain some of the pitfalls or some of the things that entrepreneurs should know about when going from subcontractor in the states to to actually hiring an employee when you hire an employee in the, whether it be in the states or in Canada there, there are employer deductions at source that you have to pay the the US deductions at source are quite high uh, especially when it comes to social security so they more than triple Canada's social security costs and that's a match for the employer so this is the reason why a lot of people start with uh, independent contractors and in reality a lot of those independent contractors are 
not really independent contractors. They're employees because they're, they're exclusive to you, etc. Uh, they don't use their own tools. You provide everything for them. And when you hire employees in the States and they have the power to contract on your behalf, not just work from a standard price list, but actually can negotiate contracts on your behalf and bind the company, then that alone will constitute a permanent establishment for U.S. tax purposes. And state tax purposes, the mere existence sometimes of employees, depending on the state that you're in, will give you that state nexus and will force you into filing state returns. So really, when you're looking at the structure and you're setting up employees, subcontractors, the wording, the contracts are hugely important and could take you on-site, off-site, in one jurisdiction or not. Even when you have subcontractors, if you have subcontractors, say, in the state of Pennsylvania, you have issues with respect to Nexus, depending on what they do. So that's something to watch out for. Martin, as we as we come to the close of the show, um, uh, you may or may not have a thought on employees in U.S. or not, but uh, what would be your one piece of advice, your some words of wisdom that you would offer to today's entrepreneur? I would say it's trust your people. I mean, they're a great source of innovation. Uh, they are the lifeblood of your company. Uh, put your trust in your people, and you'll be surprised. Thank you. You know, Dan, as a takeaway, and we, we, we spent a lot of time this show on human resources. We spent a lot of time on the people. Now, we're dealing with a service business, so anybody, any entrepreneur in a service businesses, and we're part of it too uh, as accountants and, and business advisors, the people, as I said earlier, you can look at them as an expense or as an asset. Martin, in his company, in his example, he looks at them and treats them as assets. He looks at them and says, and he and his partner, and say, you know what? Work, we, the company can benefit. The company will get huge benefits out of including their team, including their people, and that's where that's where some ideas can come from. And how best to grow a company than if you have committed people around the table. Now, entrepreneurs, when they're looking and they're, and they're deciding, hey, do I share some information with people around the table or not, people that, that I look for to deal with my customers and my suppliers, make sure that my cash is safe, well, then... I challenge every entrepreneur to share a little bit more information with their people. And they're the ones that's going to bring out the best of their company. And that's one of the things that entrepreneurs really should do. Clearly a lot of long-term thinking here on the part of Martin and uh, keeping uh, that relationship stable between him and his employees and keeping them happy, uh, keeping them around for a long time. And I'm sure our ERP guru will be around for a long time as a result. Martin, uh, thanks so much. Very interesting story, and I appreciate you coming down tonight. My pleasure. And thanks to Ernie Furt as well, tax partner at Fuller Landau. Ernie, we'll see you again shortly. Thank you, yes. Uh, don't forget, you can reach Fuller Landau during business hours at 514-875-2865 or visit their website, www.flmontreal.com. Josh, we'll see you next week, next Monday at 7. Next Monday at 7, looking forward to it. Have a good night.